So welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Josh Kelleher. I'm a member of the teaching team at St. John Vineyard. And as ever, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak, uh, to get the opportunity to speak and to share, um, you know, what God has been kind of doing in my heart as I've been preparing. And um, yeah, well, I just pray that he speaks uh, today. So now we have a business meeting after this, so I will, I'll try to keep it to no more than 40, 50 minutes, not an hour at least. Definitely not. We'll try to keep it uh, fairly brief. So. Um, so it's Palm Sunday, so happy Palm Sunday. Do we wish happy Palm Sunday? Well, we will, we will. We'll just say happy Palm Sunday. Hosanna, that's right. We just say Hosanna to each other, exactly. So, um, so we're just going to start by reading the passage and then kind of, I think, work through some aspects of it, some, some thoughts and reflections, I think, that I have on it. So the context is, so Jesus is coming, so we're going to read it from Luke, uh, Luke 19. And the context is he's actually coming from Zacchaeus' house in Jericho. And I, I hadn't really realized this. Jericho's like well below sea level. It's like 800 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem is like 300 feet above sea level. So he's walking. Like that's, it's like 20 kilometers. So it's, it's a serious hike uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So it's just an interesting thing to think of ascending. There's something in that that's really interesting, ascending to Jerusalem. And that's why always in the Old Testament, there's like, we will go up to Jerusalem because literally you went up to Jerusalem. Um, and, you know, so it wouldn't have been kind of an easy walk, you know, at least. And there's some ups and downs kind of amongst that, of course. And um, so that's where we'll start the, the passage. So we'll read it from the New Living Translation. Uh, and so he's just told a story about the parable of the talents, the way Luke tells it. And there's just an interesting reference about, you know, the master's actually a king who's going to be crowned somewhere else, and his own subjects don't want him as their king. So it's just an interesting context as he enters into Jerusalem. So after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. And sure, so they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Pray, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So this must be an important story because each of the four Gospels record it. So it's in all of them. You know, the Gospel writers have different things they're conveying. They're writing to different audiences, but they all think that this is an important one, so they all mention it. And it begins what the church calls Holy Week, so really the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so there's a few interesting things to call out. So he's making this long walk um, for Passover, and many other people would have been making that same walk. So probably the road would have been fairly busy. There would have been a lot of people coming into Jerusalem. Uh, you know, also think 
you're getting like a week off work or something. Think how excited you are to get a week off work or two weeks if you have to travel for some time. So it's probably a really jubilant atmosphere. People are happy and excited, um, ready for, for a break. Um, so he stops a couple of kilometers away from Jerusalem, uh, kind of on the other side of the Mount of Olives, and then it kind of goes down and then up into Jerusalem. Uh, and he t- sends his disciples to go get a cult that hasn't been written. Uh, now, an animal that wasn't written, well, that would be like in, when you make a sacrifice to God, an animal that's pure and untouched, something that hasn't been worked is what you would offer to God in kind of in terms of sacrifice. So symbolism there. And he rides into the city, and, and, and as people put the cloaks down on the ground, wave branches, you know, this is something they did for heroes and for royalty. We have other references of them doing this. Like, it's, it's a thing you do for, for people who are honored. And Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy here. He's, he's being, it's a really specific prophecy. There's a reason he wanted it to be a donkey. He wanted it to be a colt. And he's, he's taking a prophecy from Zechariah and fulfilling it. He says, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as he rides in, the people, they're calling out like this phrase, and it's actually a phrase from the Psalms. So it's from Psalm 118, you know, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's actually part of Psalms they would recite or chant during Passover. So it's all kind of, he's tying all these little kind of themes together. And Passover was when obviously the people were reminded, when they remembered God's deliverance from Egypt, but also they were praying and hoping for the Messiah. So it was a time of expectation and waiting. Um, you know, but of course, not, you know, and so that, that's why they're kind of excited about kind of Jesus. Uh, not everyone is, of course, keen on Jesus being a king. Obviously, the Pharisees are not, not best pleased, and they want, want to shut the people up. So this whole passage is this joyous, exuberant, over-the-top vibe to it. Like, there's, there's an electricity in the air. You know, your tensions and excitement is really high for the festival. People are getting a break. Um, and this healer and rabbi who everyone has heard about kind of shows up, um, and the place kind of explodes. So it's funny, so I wasn't really looking forward to speaking on Palm Sunday, on the topic, I mean. Um, I've always found it to be just like a little, little off for me. I, you know, I won't, say, I won't say lame, but there I kind of did say lame. You know, it feels anticlimactic to me. Um, it has all this excitement described that I don't feel myself when I am often in a Palm Sunday kind of service. And I have lots of memories of kind of, you know, the, the you know, forced palm waving kind of in churches, you know, various churches growing up and people shouting Hosanna. But, you know, it's just something that you kind of read and for some reason it has a bit of, it's a bit of a, there's a bit of a downer to it for some reason. Sometimes even in the church, there'd be a procession, you know, all those things. Uh, but I never you know, felt Hosanna in my heart, you know. That's not often my first reaction or have, has not consistently been my reaction with, with Palm Sunday. So sometimes preaching is a good opportunity because it forces you to, like, really focus on it. So always, even the times that I'm not looking forward to it, I know, well, that's probably because God wants to teach me something. <laughs> that's usually... So thank you for the opportunity to let God teach me something, so... And I think we feel this way about Palm Sunday um, because we know where their praise of the king ends up. We kind of, 
know the whole story, and actually the writer of Luke knows it, and the writer of John and Matthew and Mark as well. We know that they turn on him. Now, how joyful can it be if you know that they're going to turn on someone? Like, if somebody gives you a present that, you know, they're going to take back, that's no present. You know, we don't, we don't think of that as a joyous time. You know, if Christmas we you know, gave our kids presents and then took them away again, that would be terrible. You know, the same crowd that, you know, welcomes him and calls for, you know, his, him to be, you know, proclaims him king, they call for his crucifixion and say, you know, give us a horrible murderer instead of this guy. And they do that, like, not even a week later. They do it, like, five days later. You know, the same disciples who go in faith to fetch this donkey, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of a, it's a, it's a big deal to go take somebody's property <laughs> in the name of your master you know, those same people abandon him, you know, not five days later. His closest disciples abandon him. You know, Peter you know, very explicitly denies him three times. Uh, you know, it seems like the only people consistent in this story, if we're looking at consistency, are the Pharisees. They don't like Jesus from the beginning, they don't like Jesus today, and they don't like him on Friday. If consistency is what we're looking for. So you can really imagine this in our era of social media. Like, this type of narrative where, we love you, we love you, we hate you, we hate you, plays regularly on social media, right? You know, so if they all had, you know, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, you know, Instagram stories, you know, hashtag on the way to Jerusalem, you know, hashtag OMG, literally at least this time. <laughs> hashtag is that Jesus, you know, parting with the king, you know, TikTok videos about Jesus going by, if that's what you do with TikTok. It's one of those things I've heard about, but, you know. So everybody jumping on the bandwagon. But then we know how social media lets people turn on other people publicly, and everybody jumps on that bandwagon. You know, either they move on just to the next interesting thing, and the thing that was exciting is forgotten, um, or there's outright opposition and criticism. Can you imagine the political debate on Facebook? I heard he stole that donkey, didn't even pay the guy. <laughs> oh, this is just what we need, you know, someone who's soft on poor people. Don't believe everything you hear about this Jesus guy. I heard he's even Galilean. You know, sure, he's king, but what has he done for Galilee? Down there in Jerusalem with the bigwigs, typical. Galilee for the Galileans. Oh, I've skipped a few pages. Yeah, you should skip one page. Yeah, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, so this is the fickleness that I see in the story. This kind of something, something really, um, it's hard to get into that. And we recognize it in our age, you know, the desire to be served, to get what we deserve, anger with things not turning out how we wanted. But ultimately, not just in the story. You know, it's, it's in me. And, you know, maybe that's the real reason that this story makes me uncomfortable is because I can see how easily they changed their minds and I can see that in myself. I see their fickleness in me. And I often feel like a fair-weather friend of Jesus. So that means I'm probably missing something about Palm Sunday. I probably don't really understand what's going on here. There's a good chance of this, that I don't understand something. So. so the people are definitely fickle, no question. That's in the story. And they will change their minds about Jesus. 
Uh, they do misunderstand the nature of Jesus' kingship. Um, Luke records that they're praising him because of his deeds, his miracles. So they're like, you know, what can we get out of it? You know, there's, oh, well, he has all this power he's going to use for us, for our benefit. But they're right in proclaiming him king. So have you ever arrived at the right place but by the wrong route? Uh, happens to me all the time in St. John. Uh, I went the other day to um, Dorian's Sporting. Everybody calls it Dorian's, but it's Dwarrell's. Um, and it's over in Milford. And I just, I take the worst possible routes to get there. It's just like, I know vaguely where it is, you know. You can get there through kind of Lancaster, but I live in Grand Bay. So, you know, I just get there by the most inefficient ways possible. And it drives my wife crazy, of course. She doesn't go with me there because she knows I'm just going to browse the fishing goods forever. So, um, so the people, they do proclaim Jesus, Jesus king. They recognize that he's bringing peace and glory. But they do so because of the miracles Jesus had done. But, you know, they get to the right destination, but not quite maybe by the right path. That's okay. On the other hand, Jesus enters Jerusalem as king. You know, he knew he was entering Jerusalem as king. He's very intentional in that. He says, I want to ride in on a donkey. Um, I know that I'm fulfilling something. So he intends it. He's not just somebody caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. Joe said I should mention that it's not like Life of Brian where he ends up being mistaken for the Messiah. He's very intentional that he's the Messiah. He's fulfilling these prophecies very intentionally. The cloaks are being put down, sign of royalty, passages are cheering out, you know, kind of a pretty, pretty indicative statement that this is the king <laughs> over us. Rides in a donkey and, you know, that passage in Zechariah. Uh, but also, David brings Solomon to be made king on a donkey. So there's resonances there throughout the Old Testament. And his also the fact that he takes somebody else's donkey, is that's a royal prerogative. People in authority had the permission to temporarily requisition animals or people to do things. So that's why we have that idea when Jesus says, if somebody asks you to go a mile in, you know, and carry their burdens, then you should go two miles, because they were allowed to do that. That was a thing of people in authority could do. So he's... He's embodying, he's enacting his authority. So he doesn't just step into his role, he initiates his role as king. And it's kind of unusual, actually, because Jesus doesn't do that throughout the rest of his ministry. Like, at all the previous parts, he's, he's kind of a little bit cagey. He's like, no, don't tell anybody about this. He kind of is, they call it the messianic secret. He keeps these things kind of secret throughout his ministry, but here he makes an emphatic statement. While the people wanted to make Jesus king because of his miracles, uh, which is especially obvious in John, because he puts the raising of Lazarus right before, that that's kind of the thing that people were really excited about. That was an amazing, amazing thing. Um, Jesus knew that his kingship wasn't rooted in his ability to do miracles. It wasn't because of something he had done that he entered Jerusalem as king. It was because of his obedience to the Father and what he was going to do. He knows he will die and be raised from the dead. He's mentioned it three times prior to this. He knows that he's going to his death. And he's scared about it. He's unsure. We know that because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, you know, he prays, you know, God, take this cup away from me if it's your will. But if it's your will, I'll, I'll do it. And he's, so he's, on, he's under no illusions that the people are going to turn on him. He knows what the logical conclusion of this is. 
He knows that he's going to die and that he knows that his disciples will turn away, but he does it anyway. So what is he doing by writing in his king? What's the, the message of Palm Sunday then? Because it's not that he's really going to be king in an earthly sense. He's going to be crucified. He knows he's going to be crucified in a week. He knows his disciples are going to turn away. So what's, what's going on? I think that he's, he's acting prophetically. He's proclaiming something over the people prophetically. It's not for his benefit. He doesn't need to be proclaimed king because that's not the source of his kingship. He doesn't need people to say, oh, you're king, you're so wonderful. So clearly he's doing something for us, not the other way around. He's proclaiming proactively over them that they're going to be saved, that salvation is at hand, the kingdom is here, redemption is here, salvation is here. Just not in the way that they expect. Not in the way that they're going to know on Easter Sunday. That he'll bring salvation to them all. Not salvation from Roman rule, but a redemption between them and God. And it's important that Jesus proclaims himself king. You know, it's not that, because I was thinking, well, couldn't he have just, you know, because I, I think, well, uh, what happened on the, on the resurrection is really when that affirms his kingship, so wouldn't that have been sufficient? You know, why did he have to enter Jerusalem as king? But I think because he's making that proclamation, he's proclaiming it from the rooftops that salvation is here. And this is a truth that is so deep that even regardless of whether any people had cried out, the stones were going to cry out. Creation knew this to be true, which makes sense because Jesus was there at creation. This was an unstoppable proclamation. So this is why Palm Sunday isn't lame. Because even faced with our human brokenness and kind of the disappointment that he's going to face from his disciples, I mean, he's, he's upset about the fact that Peter is going to abandon him. It's not, he's not like, oh, this is going to be fine. You know, he was a human. He, he felt the emotions of rejection just as we do. So faced with our two-facedness, our brokenness, our misguided ideas about who he, who he is, who he was, putting things on him that weren't, you know, he was so much more than just somebody who did miracles. He was faithful to proclaim over us salvation and then faithful to be obedient to do what needed to, to do what was needed to liberate us from sin and death. He loved us enough to speak and act into being what we needed most, freedom from sin and life abundant. And that's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. Because Jesus loved us enough to do what was impossible. When we were lost and misguided, he chose to act on our behalf. So we say Hosanna on Palm Sunday. Hosanna in the highest. Now, that's a greeting that's used in the festivals in Israel at this time, a very common kind of greeting. But it means save us, we pray. Save us, we pray, or we ask. So we say to Jesus then, save us, we ask you, and we praise you for your salvation. So that's kind of what I, I think, learned about Palm Sunday, that it was, I think it was too easy for me to make it um, just kind of a historical event that had some sort of historical significance, but it's actually a profound spiritual 
act that has spiritual significance. I mean, obviously, Jesus did, you know, everything Jesus did had spiritual significance. Even when he makes breakfast after he's resurrected, it has spiritual significance. So, uh, he makes no division between sacred and not sacred, of course. So. so, with that, why don't we pray? So, it wasn't 40 minutes, I don't think. Uh, it was pretty good. Um, let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you are God and we are not. We thank you, Jesus, that you are king and we are not. We thank you that in spite of our brokenness and our fickleness, that you chose to speak into our existence. You chose to speak prophetically into our existence and then to, um, to liberate us, to take the steps, to take the actions, to liberate us from from our chains. We pray that you would help us to know on a deep, deep level the joyfulness of your liberation, the joyfulness of your salvation. We thank you that you love us and we commit to loving you back and to making the choices in our lives that honor you. We thank you for, um, for you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.